Welcome to the Irishman, Englishman and Scotsman football podcast. Hello, good evening and welcome to another episode of the Irishman, Englishman and Scotsman football podcast. Right, uh, straight in. And we have a little bit of a normality back in the Premier League now. The games are on the weekends. Uh, the last couple of months have been absolutely hectic with these midweek weekend fixtures. We're kicking off with a cracker at the uh, King Power Stadium at half past one Central European time. Leicester, who came out of that poor draw with Wolves against Liverpool, who were in the end hammered by Manchester City. But I don't think that they were hammered, and I did predict Man- Man- Liverpool to score. I said that Liverpool's world-class forwards would trouble them. Now, Kev, you'll go into this, I'm sure, with your in-depth analysis, but from my point of view, the neutral's point of view, I thought Liverpool were really in this game. I thought they had plenty of chances. And just one switch really knocked the game on its head. Phil Foden went out to the right wing, and Phil Foden made Andy Robertson look like a Sunday league player for the last 25 minutes. And, of course, obviously City missed the... You know, the, the penalty as well. Liverpool got a penalty, which was a little bit, you know, with the Salah. But Liverpool created a lot of chances, I thought, and there's a lot of positive signs. It's defensively seemed, seemed to be the problem. Uh, but I think effectively now, Kev, you, you, you did say before that Liverpool were not in the title race. Surely not now. No, uh, nowhere near it. I mean, let's face it. I mean, and I think if you look at the run of fixtures that Liverpool have got coming up, including this game, sort of starting now, with this game at Leicester and then the Champions League and then everything else and there's Everton on the horizon. I think you're looking at really, um, I'm not confident actually that the, things are going to turn around quickly either. You know, I think you're looking at a Liverpool team which, as discussed, you know, in the past, they, they took some steps to, to, to sign a couple of defenders and let's see how that goes. So let's see if, um, if we finally see those players on the pitch. But I think it's more fundamental than that and I don't think it's just confidence like Klopp said. I think he's just looking at a team that's lost its spark. It's lost its, um, you know, it's lost its ability to have fun on the park. And I think um, we're not getting out of this anytime soon. Liverpool were in the game, you're right. And, and in the same way, they were in the game against Man United, right? And some people thought maybe that would be the, the turnaround, that getting a point against Man United, who were in very good form at the time, might be it. But honestly, I think there's something wrong you may remember, some of you may remember a few weeks ago, I said we should talk to someone who's a fan of the Boston Red Sox about how um, the management group that oversees this team deals with rebuilding a team that is a champion. And you'll find that Red, uh, you'll find that Red Sox fans cannot stand uh, the management team. And I wouldn't go that far. I think they've been great for Liverpool, but I don't think they're in the business of rebuilding while they're successful. And I think this is a fundamental problem that's going to be resolved. I don't know whether or not it's the management team as in the the sports group. I think it's actually Klopp's management team that potentially need rebuilding. The main concern that I have with Liverpool, and I think it's fair to say that they are in disarray compared to last year. There's been injuries for months, and tactically there is no plan B. Plan B is to do plan A better. Um, And I think we've seen the the opposite happen at Man City, and actually we've seen a revitalised City because of that. You know, the players that Klopp has at his disposal either can't do the system that he wants them to play or they're too out of form to do it well enough. And I don't think he's protected his players well enough to get them into a position to win games because there's no doubting that they've got great players and they can do it on occasion, but they just seem to be lacking that consistency. And I think actually changing things up a little bit could potentially help them get out of that funk, so to speak. 
Maybe Klopp needs to go to Fenway Park and bring back some of that Boston Red Sox magic. You know what I'm saying? Joe. You'd never have thought that Liverpool would miss Diego Jota so much, would you? Um, but they seem to have really missed him. And Was that your Diego Jota <laughs> debut, Joe? That was my... That was my Diego Jota <laughs> debut. <laughs> I just had to throw it in there. But I think I read something interesting uh, this week about how Thiago is obviously a wonderful player, but he does seem to slow them down a bit. Um, and they just haven't, haven't really found the perfect position for him just yet. And I do worry for them a bit this weekend. I think if there's one team you really don't want to play when your confidence is, is, a, is a little bit slow, you know, you're not playing the best, you, you don't really want to play Leicester. Uh, so I think Leicester could compound the misery on Klopp this weekend. I'm not sure if um, Mr. Vardy is playing. He might be still out. I know he had surgery a few weeks ago. And if he's not back, I think Liverpool, you know, like I said, they created the chances against Man City. They're one of the only teams in the league to actually go at them. And really, Mane had a header for 1-0, which is one-on-one. I know City were amazing and they deserved to win in the end. But Liverpool have the forwards to, to score the goals. Um, you know, the new guys come in, that those defenders, they're going to take time to bet in. I do agree, Alicantra, we probably won't see the best of him till next season. Um, so I'm actually going to go for a Liverpool win here, Joe. Yeah, I think Leicester, you know, I give them credit and then they stick the place up against Wolves. I think it could be a draw, to be honest. I think Leicester have enough about them. They're still, you know, vying for a top four spot. And I think they're above Liverpool on merit, so yeah. Okay, draw for you, Finno. And Kevin, your best uh, balking prediction? Well, just because you said that, I'm going to say Liverpool win then. <laughs> but only because uh, the away form has been better than the home form, so we'll see. Got a little bit of positivity about the place. Uh, next up at 4 o'clock on Saturday, Central European time, Crystal Ballots, who were beaten by Leeds last night, uh, take on Burnley, who drew at Brighton. Um, did any of you guys watch the game last night, Palace and Leeds, Finno? No, I didn't watch the Palace game, but I watched the the Burnley game, the Burnley-Brighton game, and Burnley had some incredible chances to take all three points. And actually, to be fair to them, they played some really nice football going forward, um, particularly in the second half. So I think Palace will find it tough. Yeah, I'm not sure if Will Saha is back either. I mean, a lot of Leeds Leeds fans were were happy about that. He was injured uh, during the Newcastle game, might be out for a while. So, you know, you'd fancy fancy Burnley to, to kind of dig out a result here, Joe. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Palace are a funny team, aren't they? Some weeks they seem to play really well, score some amazing goals, and then other weeks they're just awful. <laughs> and by all accounts, last night against Leeds, they were terrible. As much as Leeds were good, apparently Palace just had absolutely nothing about them. Um, so I have, I have no idea which way this one will go, but I would think after Burnley's performance at the weekend where Finno's absolutely right, they should have beaten Brighton. They were fantastic in the second half. Um, I would think that they would beat Palace. Yeah, Palace are very tough though I mean like they're defensively they're very organised and of course Leeds can attack any team the way the way they set up but Burnley you know I think this could suit suit into to kind of Palace's game plan so I'm going to go for a draw here half past six uh, potentially the game of the weekend Manchester City new champions elect against Tottenham uh, Finos champions elect for Christmas at half past six Man City of course they just can't put a foot wrong um, and again, without a recognised striker. And I've seen a rumour today linking them with Messi. They don't need Messi at the minute. And fair play to, to Pep Guardiola. We were, you know, giving them socks at the start of the season, saying, they, like Finno said earlier on about Liverpool, they don't have a plan B. Um, but they don't need one at the minute. Tottenham beat West Brom 2-0. West Brom, for me, already relegated, you know. And uh, the, this, the, the two seasons ago, this was a big game. 
but now I see it, it's only going one way. Fennel. Yeah, and I, I kind of alluded to it earlier that there have been small p- tactical changes that Pep have made to that have really kind of galvanized that Man City team. So they play with a back four in defense, but actually when they've got possession of the ball, they move it to a back three, and one of the fullbacks goes in into the defensive midfielder position, which then allows Gundogan to go roaming, and we've seen it to great effect. I think he's got like nine goals in 17 games this season in the Premier League. He's been in phenomenal form, and it's because he's been allowed to, to roam about the place. But Tottenham, they're going to stymie that attack, I think, and it'll be interesting to see who breaks first. I could easily see this being a very boring nil-nil, and Jose goes up the, the road and is very happy with his point. Mourinho against Guardiola is one to savour, right? This is just wonderful. It's just, regardless of the football, this is just one of those rivalries that you just can't wait to see. And I know I've been saying this for a while, but I do think, what is it? I can't remember if it's nine or ten on the spin now. You know, you just get to you just get to think that the run has got to come to an end at some point. And wouldn't it just be typical Mourinho if somehow he manages to dig out, not just a draw, if he manages to dig out a win, and, the only, and, uh, and of course, they got Kane. So I assume, you know, Kane came back. No Kane, no gain, as they say. And maybe this might be it. Maybe this, this the run comes to an end. That's a great point from Kev. I think we saw at the weekend how much, how much Kane brings to that team. Even if he's only 30% fit and he just kind of stands up top, they're just a completely different team when he's in the side. He just brings that kind of aura, the captaincy. Um, but I don't think it will be enough to to score against the Man City defence because they're just, uh, you know, Stones, Cancelo, Diaz, they're, they're just so, so tight at the back. So I just can't see it happening. Yeah, very true, Joe. They're, they're like machines. Uh, the evening game on Saturday, Brighton against Aston Villa at 9pm. Uh, Brighton, of course, held to a draw by Burnley. Aston Villa, I did tip them to beat Arsenal. They did beat Arsenal. I do believe that they're this team that will kind of break into the top four, possibly five. With those games in hand, I think they're, you know, they're, they're good to watch and they're they're hard to beat and they got players in the attacking half of the field that can do damage and I think they'll beat Brighton here. Joe? No, I mean, Brighton are unbeaten in five and they're playing some really nice stuff. They're full of confidence. Obviously, they've got that kind of monkey off their back of winning their first game in the league at home. Um, they seem to have found a way to have kept clean sheets and they're starting to score more goals. Um, Villa... Yeah, Villa, obviously Grealish, Barkley are, are going to cause issues, but I don't think it. I don't think it's a home banker for Villa by any means. It wouldn't surprise me if this one ends in a draw. It's interesting that um, Neil Mopai and Ollie Watkins will go up against each other, having both come from from Brentford. And I know that this is a Premier League podcast, but I think the total outlay was something like three and a half million for both of them. And yet, I think Mopé was supposed to go for twenty million um, to Brighton. Similar numbers for Ollie Watkins. I think it just shows the wonders that good scouting can have. Aston Villa, I thought were they weren't necessarily great value for their win against Arsenal. They scored early, and then kind of nothing really seemed to happen. Um, Brighton, Brighton wouldn't need to start winning games, I think, again. Um, but that second half against uh, Burnley wasn't. You know, wasn't it? And I think we'll we'll see an interesting game, but I think Villa probably have enough. I think I think we'll see uh, we'll see a tight game. I'm not sure how interesting it's going to be. The only, the only thing I'll say, Villa Villa uh, are one of those teams. They haven't actually turned it on for a while. Again, maybe it's just me as a Liverpool fan. I've got it in my head that they're capable of this absolute magic because of that infamous seven two, which uh, 
you know, JP never never ceases to remind me of. But um, but actually, it's been a long time. <laughs> it's been a long time since they've really played well, as opposed to just being quite pragmatic and you know grinding out results. So um, I think I think they will win, but I don't think we're going to see anything spectacular. Just um, just one more point. I think Brighton are playing in the FA Cup this week and Villa aren't. So Villa will have had quite a few days more uh, preparation time, whereas Brighton will end up playing twice in, in, in three days or something, which may, which may, at this stage of the season, after all the games in January, and I think that was yeah, the weekend, Brighton just looked exhausted in that second half against Burnley. So the extra game may count against them. I just think Villa have more in their armour. Um... You've got Grealish, who's an amazing outlet. Ross Barkley shows up late in the box, like a kind of a poor man's Frank Lampard. Of course, you've got Ollie Watkins, but Traore is a guy who I never could remember his name. Um, brilliant guy on the ball, on the on the right side of that, that three-pronged attack. And uh, yeah, I, I think they're going to do damage this season. I think, you know, they've, they've had a great season so far. They've got a few games in hand. I do believe Villa will be there or thereabouts in the top four to six at the end of the season. Um, Sunday, one o'clock. Southampton against Wolves. Now, I'll harp on about the Newcastle game in a wild job. But, um, you know, it was one of the craziest games I've ever seen, I have to say. And, you know, Southampton were, you know, I thought poor in the first half. The two goals you scored were fantastic. You know, Minamino, what a touch, what a finish, right foot, left foot. Uh, the free kick from Ward-Prowse, like I said, I think he's the he's one away from the record in one season of the amount of free kicks scored, which is held by... Lauren Robert of Newcastle and David Beckham. Um, Wolves, of course, you know, true nil-nil once again. I think this could be a game where Southampton could, could possibly turn things around and, and possibly get a win. I think it's, we're in this very strange situation for Southampton again, where we're going to end up playing the same team twice in three days. We, we did it with Arsenal a couple of weeks ago where we beat them in the FA Cup and then lost them in, in the league. And I have a horrible feeling that the same thing is going to happen this week. I think we could beat Wolves in, in the FA Cup because the FA Cup will be a bit of a release from the pressures of the league where we, you know, it's just a one-game shootout. So I, I think we could beat them in the FA Cup, but I think when we go back to the league, we'll probably end up losing. Like you say, it was just a insane match and just inconceivable how we played against nine men for 25 minutes and couldn't score. Uh, I, I can't comprehend how on earth that would happen. But... I'm going to look at the positives only. I'm not going to be negative like last week. Minamino's goal was brilliant. He was fantastic. I think he's going to be a fantastic addition. Vestergaard's back, which means that we can drop uh, Bednarak, who's had an absolute shocker for the last few weeks and just needs a rest. Um, and I think the main positive is that we're not bottom. Um, after no wins in 10 games or whatever it is, you think we'd be bottom of the league, but we're not. We have had a good season and I think we will get back on track at some point. Joe, it's interesting. Last week you joked that at least England still have Alex McCarthy for, for England, and yet he gave away an absolute howler for Newcastle's third. I think Southampton, as you say, I think you've summed it up really well. They looked in patches, they looked really good, and probably like the Southampton of earlier on in the season. Wolves are probably a pretty good team to come up against, but then again, I said that against Newcastle, and look how that turned out for you. So yeah, I don't really know how to, how to call that one. No, no one does, do they? But it's just interesting looking at the table that for all the, you know, the 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 missteps that Wolves have had this season, and for when Southampton were top of the table earlier on the season, Wolves win, then they overtake Southampton in the table, which no one could have predicted. What six weeks ago, four weeks ago, even something like that, and it has been like I, you know, I, I would not wish ill on Southampton ever because you know basically 
you know, we got half our team from them. And then we got Mina Mina. That was one I would love to see and hit a rich vein of scoring. But uh, sometimes when you're in that much of a hole, it is hard to dig your way out. It is. Like, it's interesting you said that. So I think we're six points off, off 17th. We're only six points ahead of Burnley. And it was only in December when we were top of the league. So it's just, it's just remarkable. Um, I think you're right, you know, I would expect Fraser Forster to come back in in the FA Cup. And if he does well, I think he'll uh, keep his place. I just think McCarthy, after letting in nine goals, your confidence is just completely shot. And it was a terrible mistake. It was kind of Allison-esque mistake, wasn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> against Newcastle. Fair play, fair play. Fair, you can't argue with that. I think when when you've always got uh, a chance when you've got Ward-Prowse stuff from any kind of set piece the guy's phenomenal Um, whoever played right back on Saturday uh, Joe was sold down the street by say Maxime sold and two or three times go buy a flag and a cider and come back and still he couldn't see where say Maxime was I mean you know Newcastle don't forget could have been John Joe Shelby's in front of goal at the start of the second half for 4-1 and then it's curtains but then all the madness happened after but you know I've seen enough definitely there with Danny Ings and and Che Adams and Ward Prowse, Minamino to, I think you'll get over the line against Wolves. Four, three o'clock on Sunday, West Brom beaten by Spurs against Manchester United, who were involved in a crazy game against Everton. Uh, the away day Kings, of course, we'd all fancy Man United to win, but the way Everton got back into that game might be a little bit worrying for Solskjaer. And the way Man United dug themselves back in will be very encouraging with Tomine's header, even though the goalkeeper I thought was very strange and flat-footed, the Everton goalkeeper Olsen. He just seemed to kind of trip or something. McTominay's header wasn't exactly, you know, full of venom. But fair play to Everton. Dominic Calvert-Lewin uh, at the last second. You know, I think Man United really will be kicking themselves at the fact that they didn't get all three points against Everton. I think they'll take all their, their anger out on West Brom. I watched the, the highlights of the Everton game for Manchester United and the first thing that came to mind was Kevin I's consistent vocalisation of the fact that De Gea is just not very good anymore. You know, he had a mistake to get um, Everton back into the game. Defensively, United were all over the place for that final goal from Calvert-Lewin. I think four players were marking fresh air. It would be interesting to get a United fan on the podcast to discuss, but when do they pull the plug on him as number one? Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, Solskjaer obviously he's got a, he's a big name as well. And I mean, he is still one of the best goalkeepers in the world. He's having a bad season, two seasons. Um, but I think if this continues, like if he... Like, to be honest, we're going to go into, we should go into Alisson, really. But, I mean, De Gea, De Gea's, his mistakes have been here. They've been a bit, a little, a little bit less than last season, I think. But they weren't as blatant as what Alisson did at the weekend. I know Man United have got a wonderful, you know, sub-goalkeeper. But uh, maybe, maybe Solskjaer is afraid to, to, make that, to make that move. Kevin? I'm, uh, yeah, I'm not sure it's afraid. I just think it's it's really hard when it's one of the captains or, you know, uh, one of the club captains and he's on a wage, which is, you know, stratospheric, you know, because he signs a new contract and you're looking at someone. I, I have no idea what the numbers are. I really don't. But um, I think he may be in that situation where it's just almost impossible for him to drop, you know, and I think it will take, it will take some courage, uh, but it's about time it happened and it's not... You know, it's not the answer to everything. Of course, it's not the answer. You know, we've all seen, you mentioned Alisson there uh, earlier on, and quite rightly, but is the answer to just drop drop a player. So it's, you know, and, and Everton as well, they're in that exact same situation where they've had to drop the goalkeeper, but it doesn't automatically mean that results are going to pick up, of course. So it's a big call, but it's a big call as a coach and it's a big call as a club when it's that important a franchise player who's on that sort of money. 
I think that's a really interesting point, Kev, because it would just become another Mesut Ozil situation, wouldn't it? Where the story every single week is about Ozil or De Gea being on the bench. And it just takes over the whole narrative and it, it becomes a massive, massive problem. Um, I think Kev will remember this as well. I think De Gea hasn't been the same player since the World Cup in 2018 when he had a shocker for Spain, didn't he? He was awful and he got so much stick. And you think he's, he's just never really, really recovered. Yeah, that's exactly right. He was a player who almost had, he was magical. You know, he almost looked like finally here was the new Ica Casillas. And then suddenly you're in a situation where, yeah, a bit of lost confidence, a couple of bad performances, very, very high profile. And it's true. If you speak to, speak to people in Spain, like, no, I don't think people in Spain would think that this guy has an automatic right to that place. He's just not viewed in that way anymore, no. Yeah, I think it's his name, though, isn't it? You know, he's just a big superstar name. Arsenal against Leeds, half past five. Arsenal beaten uh, by Villa. Although Arsenal did play quite well in the second half, I thought, you know, in patches. Leeds were pretty impressive against Palace, you know, without having to do too much. Leeds, I think, went over, went above Arsenal on the table after that win. And uh, they're going to go there to the Emirates with absolutely no fear at all. And this could be, if Arsenal come out to play, it could be a decent game, end-to-end football. And I wouldn't be surprised if Leeds come away here with all three points. And i got to say, Leeds, you know, before this season, nobody who was a neutral liked Leeds. They just weren't a likeable team. But they've been an absolute breath of fresh air this whole season. They really have. How they play the game is just, you know, it's brilliant. I look at how bad Newcastle were, how defensively they were all season until, you know, Graham Jones came in. Leeds have been just attacked from the very first day against Liverpool when they scored three three goals at Anfield. They've just kept the same philosophy, you know, Bielsa ball, as Finno called earlier on in the season. And, yeah, they're, they're great to watch. I, I can see them uh, possibly beating Arsenal here and, and carrying on up the table. Joe? Yeah, I think you're right. I think Leeds will just run all over Arsenal. I think they will run them ragged for the whole 90 minutes. They were very, very impressive against Palace. Could have scored more. Bamford is in fine form. He's being tipped to you know, get a call-up for England. I just think they'll have t- too much for Arsenal. Arsenal have been very disappointed in the last couple of games. We keep saying this about Arsenal. They're not that good. <laughs> they managed to kind of pull a few wins from somewhere, but they're not, they're not a particularly good team. So I, I just think Leeds will just yeah, run all over them. And yet, probably every single time that we've said that Arsenal haven't, aren't a good team, they've gone on to surprise us and probably get a decent result. I think for Arsenal, it's their striking options at the moment that are just so poor. You know, Willian, for all the kind of press around him joining from Chelsea, Lacazette was also so poor. There's no real focal point for that team. They're crying out for Aubameyang to come back. And I know he, he played a little bit against, um, against Villa Leeds have to see this as a, an opportunity to get all three points and I wouldn't put it past them. Yeah, the final game on Sunday at Goodison Park, Everton against Fulham. Everton, of course, boiled by that uh, fantastic uh, last gasp draw against Manchester United against Fulham, who are in serious trouble and they just continue to draw. I watched bits of that, that Fulham-West Ham game, Fino and you know, dodgy sending off. Fulham, you know, they, they had their chances and they've got guys who can hurt you as well. You know, in in the uh, in the far position, Lookman and um, the the boy from Chelsea, and of course Mitrovic gets stuck in. But you know, he seems to do better for Serbia than he does for Fulham. Everton, I think, lads will, will win this one hands down. Yeah, look, I think I watched both the the Manu Everton game and the the Fulham game, obviously, and I thought what was quite interesting was Everton have Luca Digne playing on the left wing rather than at the left-back position. Um, so he's able to get a bit more forward. I know that we talked about his defensive frailties in the game against Newcastle. 
we talked about Pickford's small arms in the previous uh, podcast, but Olsen had, as you said, JP, that crack and slip, which made him look as if he had six-inch arms uh, for McTominay's goal. Everton, I think, probably do have enough here. I'm looking at Fulham's uh, you know, last five games. They've picked up three points. Seeing more and more that gap you know, between Burnley and Fulham just uh, widen ever deeper. Moving on, two games on Monday, uh, 7 o'clock. West Ham host Sheffield United final. I mean, you know, obviously West Ham have been doing so well recently and I think they'll be a little bit disappointed not to take all three points against Fulham. Sheffield United were value for money against Chelsea and really gave them a game. I think they'll uh, they'll put it up to West Ham as well, but this could be a decent one to watch, Finno. I'm just going to keep being negative about West Ham because it seems like every time I get a little bit of confidence, we end up dropping points. It was a gut punch, I think, for West Ham fans. It'll be interesting to see we play Man United tonight, Tuesday, um, in the FA Cup. It'll be interesting to see what kind of team gets put out there because I think if we do prevail there, we've got a decent chance of, you know, going deep in that competition, and then maybe the league becomes less of a priority. Um, Look, yeah, hopefully we get the points, and that's probably all I'm going to say there. Biggest talking point, as you've alluded to before, VAR and Mike Dean. I see that the red card's already been rescinded, you know, almost immediately. And the thing that I want to just talk about is he looked at the decision 23 times to make his decision. Now, I think we need to have an element of a discussion. You know, people talk about... Um, rugby and tennis and those sorts of sports where video refereeing or TMOs have been brought in, they're not looking at a situation 23 times to make a decision. They're looking at it, you know, maximum of 10 before they make a, a general common sense call. I thought there was a glitch on my TV when I seen it. I thought it was like going back, but he just kept looking and looking and looking. But in a way that, you know, obviously this gets rescinded. We've got VAR now. We can look at these situations. The benefit of VAR is that we can look back at it. But also, in review, if consistently a referee is making these mistakes and, and the red card has been rescinded, which means that he made the mistake, should he then not get a ban for a while? Or should Mike Dean not be allowed referee? I know he got the death threats, and that's terrible. You know, Anyone to get death threats is, is terrible. But, I mean, from a referee's point of view, you, 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 know, you could cost people their career. Well, your mistake. So should the Premier League not have a, maybe have a, a board of ex-referees who can say, right, you've, you've made this mistake consistently in a few weeks and you need to sit out for a while? I do think there is some element of appraisal, shall we say. Um, and I know that, you know, referees do go down the, down the leagues for a couple of weeks if their performance has been substandard. And I think it just so happens that Mike Dean has had a couple of very high-profile substandard games. Um so, yeah, obviously we can't condone any sort of uh, promise of violence towards him or his family. But, yeah, I think probably the best situation for him there is to just get his confidence up a bit as well. Take a couple of games in the Championship or League One and, you know, start to build up that confidence of, you know, making the right decisions and not necessarily relying on the VAR side of things to quite the same degree. Yeah, good point there, Finno. A final game of the weekend on Monday night, Nine o'clock at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea, uh, who can't stop winning now under Thomas Tuchel, uh, also play in the FA Cup on Thursday night, home to Barnsley, I think. It's away to Barnsley, actually, against Newcastle United. Now, Newcastle will be down to the bare bones. And I don't want to do pull a Kev here and complain about defenders there, but there was five defenders out for the uh, Southampton game. Two defenders, Fabian Schaar and uh, Manquillo, are out for the season now. They're gone for the season. Um, 
Jeff Hendrick, of course, sent off stupidly for two fouls on Minamino, and he's out. Colin Wilson could be out for a long time as well. So Newcastle are down to the bare bones. What I will say on the positive side about this game is that I thought Newcastle were really entertaining and they really took it to Southampton from the off. Wilson had the ball in the net for offside. Say Maxima, just they, they couldn't, they had no answer to him. And 2 0 could have been 3 0. Um, there was 3 1 before half time. This new role where Almiron is in playing behind the striker or almost up front really suits him. But I'll go back to John Joe Shelby and that chance with his right foot. He's a right footed player. He let it go across with his left foot. That was in front of goal for 4 1, and then it's game over for me completely. But this was the craziest game I've seen all season. It had absolutely everything from red cards to bloody penalty shouts to balls cleared off the line to, you know, nine men. Joe, I thought Newcastle were fantastic. Really did. You know, I've never bit my nails out for so long. Um, But I gave us absolutely no chance against Chelsea. And the reason why that win was so important against Southampton was because Man United are also up after Chelsea. So these two games, I don't expect us to get anything. But the way the table's going, you know, we need those those points and anything can happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you 100% actually. And I think, I'm sorry, I would love to think that you've got a chance in this game, but I don't think you have. I think it's going to be one of those games where you're, uh, yeah, depleted, uh, but also emotionally and, you know, physically and psychologically a bit, shattered after that one i think it's gonna be really hard to pull out another result like uh, another performance like that and i don't think it's gonna happen love to think it's a possibility but nah chelsea got this one i'll continue to use the the glimmer of hope analogy um for newcastle and the only the only glimmer of hope for newcastle i think is the fact that it looks like tiago silva still won't um be fit nor will pulisic and we saw with rudiger that you know, the mistakes are there. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that will help. It'll be interesting again to see. I know that there was a lot of chat about um, Joe Willock after the game, how he performs in a, you know, a game that is a bigger team. He's come from Arsenal. This should be the level that Arsenal's youth players should be aspiring to come into these games and play and play well. Can he kind of really drive this Newcastle team forward? I'm not saying he can do it on his own, but yeah, let's see. He couldn't have started any better, if you know, with the goal, albeit it was a tap-in from St. Maxima's good work. He provides a lot of energy in midfield uh, because John Joe Shelby's a fantastic passer of the ball, but for me, he hasn't got much of an engine. You know, he can pick you up from 50, 60 yards, but track him back, you know, box to box, he's not that kind of player. Um, what I would, would like to speak about briefly is Dwight Gale. Now, I said Almiron is out. Joe Linton, uh, if you're going to go Joe Linton or Carroll, it's going to be long ball. I don't think Newcastle will revert to that style that got us that 10-game run without winning a game. They've, they started to press high and, you know, go forward. And, um, but for some reason, Steve Bruce is not picking Dwight Gale. So I think he's got to give him a go here. And, and you know, you're playing Chelsea away, nothing to lose. I'd say go and have a crack and hopefully hopefully we will. And, you know, you never know. I don't give us much hope, to be honest. But, uh, you know, there's a poetic chance. And uh, <laughs> speaking of poets, we have our own Kev. Uh, what have you got for us this week, Kev? Uh, I've got a confession that I'm in the middle of a virtual works leaving do, so uh, the recital of this one might be a bit tricky. Anyway, here goes. Oh, captain, my captain, we're on a fearful run. A keeper's fatal missteps and Man City have it won. There'll be no season's glory and no title for these Reds, as a side once so imposing loses heart gets torn to shreds. 
Match week 23 this year has proved the crucial moment, confirming Guardiola has no serious opponent. A 4-0 winner Anfield takes Pep's heroes five points clear. A game in hands insurance as United's faint veneer. A true league title aspirants looks thinner than before as Everton claw back to clinch a last gap 3-3 draw. 12 goals in five days for Oli's trigger-happy squad. A curler from Fernandez seemed a blessing straight from God. But with City in this mood, you can't let it slip a 2-0 lead or back ahead with the game's final kick again concede. Still further down the table, there was much for us to relish, plus a full-on West Ham nil that was absolutely hellish. A thriller at St James's Park was comfortably the highlight, with the tension of the Hunger Games and all the bites of Twilight. Almiron stuck twice and there was one for Joseph Willock. A bad thrust from McCartney made him look like a real pillock. 3-1 down at half-time with the panorama tragic. Saints were right back in it as James Ward-Prowse worked his magic and showed us all again he's such a talented young fellow. His free-kick arrows home and what do you know, a second yellow leaves Newcastle down to 10 and soon they're left with 9. Ings comes close but Saints can't quite arrest their start decline. So there you have it, Liverpool, Southampton in free fall. Tottenham and Chelsea have their backs against the wall. Both are now back winning, but it feels a bit too late, with City safely perched after winning nine games straight. But where there's life, there's hope, they say, and perhaps there's just a glimmer. On Saturday, as the rest of us sit down to eat our dinner, it's City versus Spurs, as spicy as a jalapeno. And just this once, I'm cheering Spurs. Vamos, Senor Mourinho. Brilliant stuff, Kev. Thank you very much. Thank you. See you again soon. Fino, thank you. Cheers, guys. Joe, thank you very much. Nice one. Thanks, JP. All right, folks. Uh, as always, don't forget, if you are listening on YouTube, don't forget to hit that uh, subscribe button on the bottom right-hand side and the old bell notification. And also, that's our uh, second episode of our Away Day Confessions. Newcastle fans is out on our YouTube channel this week. Give it a listen. Hopefully, Sunday morning, uh, we'll have another one for you uh, in around about 12 o'clock uh, Central European time. Thanks a lot, folks, and enjoy the games. Yeah! <laughs>